Hey everybody, uh, this is a little later than what we have been uh, coming to you, but um, you know, we just kind of enjoyed the, the nice day out today, uh, a good way to end the weekend I think, just spending some good time with the family, uh, but you know, I've got just a little bit, uh, I don't think it'll take too long, but I've got a short message here, something that God gave me, and uh, I just think it's something that a lot of people won't talk about, it's just something so simple that we have overcomplicated and I mean that's just you know that's just it is that we've overcomplicated God's word and you know I think that's something that we have to really pay attention to that that's not something that we uh, do so much that we end up taking it for granted of overcomplicating his word uh, so I'm going to read one verse here over in Second Timothy uh, it's going to be Second Timothy 3.16 uh, so if you do want to turn with me there that's where I'm going to be reading uh, but Second Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be uh, perfect thoroughly furnished unto all good works so you know when I read this uh, something that I like to really notice is that it tells us that all scripture that every bit of it is profitable, it's got value, it's something that we should uh, not take uh, for granted. I mean, that's something that we should um, respect, that he's given us everything here, every verse, every word, for a reason. And, you know, I, I feel like we miss that so much. And, you know, in my opinion, if if God gave us all these verses, all these words, for every one of those reasons then I think that it's something that we should want to know. It's something that we should have a desire to know and to learn and to be an expert in. Um, you know, obviously we're not going to all excel in everything here because, you know, I don't. there's so much of it I think we're not meant to fully understand, but we shouldn't willingly just be ignorant to what His Word says. I think that we should have this desire in us to continue to read it, continue to study it, and at least have a longing to understand it or to understand more than what we do. Um, so, you know, when I look over at, you know, because there's going to be several different uh, verses I'm going to be reading from. I'm kind of jumping around here, but it's where I do feel that God has led me. You know, God... Uh, honestly, he, he he gave me these verses as I was studying, so I know this is where he wanted us to go. Uh, but you go over to Second Timothy 2.15, and it tells us to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So I read that, you know, and, you know, not only is he telling us right there that, you know, uh, we should study because it uh, shows ourselves approved unto God, but it also says that a workman needeth not to be ashamed. Um, because it's rightly dividing the word of truth. So I, I look at that, and the the way that I always perceive this, talking about the workmen, uh, not needing to be ashamed, we uh, actually see this a lot with different denominations. We see this with just different people who uh, who, who who like to voice their differences and opinions, and a lot of people end up growing ashamed that maybe they perceive something differently than their neighbor they perceive something differently than one of their closest friends did and a lot of times it ends up where you either argue over the, uh, the 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 matter of it or you end up feeling shameful of it because you end up uh questioning your own faith and questioning your 
uh, the way that you have read the Bible and the way that you've received things. And that's what I believe that the Bible's talking about here when it says, uh, workman needeth not to be ashamed. I mean, he's giving us these words and he's telling us, you know, this is how, uh, this is how I've, I, you know, I've wrote it, and you know, there's just truth to it. And the thing is, it's not even necessarily a lot of times, anyways. It's not even necessarily how we perceive it, but it's how we are just so focused on only seeing one thing or only seeing the things that will support our ideas. And you know, we end up because when we do this, and I believe this is why we've got so many denominations, because people just can't agree on things. And, you know, the Bible tells us over in 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty three, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And the thing is, if we are arguing over these small things, if we can't fellowship together because we believe something just a tad bit differently, then are we allowing that peace to flow through are we allowing God's peace and that presence of God to be there or are we just so focused on it has to be this way because this is how I see it this is how I was taught it because if we stay so focused on that then I I believe that there's so many of the simple things that we do miss and that's kind of where I, what I wanted to do today was to focus on some of these simple things that we have overlooked and this isn't me going in and saying this is my opinion of things this is things that we can look at and we can all no matter what your denomination is no matter what your uh, belief system is we can all look at these examples that we're going to look at today we can look at these and we can all come to the uh, agreement and the conclusion that it is the biblical truth um so the first thing i like to look at because a lot of people don't know this and for some people, as soon as you say this, they already kind of get their guard up. But the first thing I want to look at is the first sin. Now, when we look at the first sin, most people, when you ask them what is the first sin against God, they will automatically say Adam and Eve. And that makes sense. You open up the book of Genesis, you begin to read Adam and Eve, sin against God, they ate from the forbidden tree. So it, it makes sense that that's what most people would say. But when you look at it, biblically, it was not the first sin against God. And the reason being is that when you look at that scripture and you, you well, you'll find it, when you look at the scripture, Adam and Eve were tempted by the devil. And for Adam and Eve to be tempted by the devil, then this means that the devil had already sinned against God. He had already taken uh, this prideful heart and said that I'm going to exalt above you. I'm going to sit in your throne. I'm going to be more powerful than you. And at this point, God would have already uh, sent Satan out of heaven, cast him down to the earth. And then we find there that if Satan is there to tempt Adam and Eve, then Satan's fall was the first sin against God. So that's one of those things that we've overcomplicated to where... A lot of people don't see that because they've gotten just just they they wouldn't actually even hear that description because they throw a red flag up and say no no Genesis Adam and Eve that has to be it but when you look into it and the things that should be simple the things that should pop out to us don't pop out because we've put these little uh, walls up we've put these uh, little mind blocks up that we can't see so then. You know, I want to kind of continue on with this. Um, 
one thing that a lot of people will kind of bring up is, well, um, if God's all-knowing, then why did he create Satan in the first place? Why did he create... Because when they say this, when they say, why did he create Satan, they're basically saying, why did he create evil? If he knew that evil was going to come from it, why did he even do it to begin with? And that's another thing that I believe is something simple that we should be able uh, to perceive and be able to read the book and to understand that that's not exactly... We've kind of taken that all-knowing out of context, I believe, because when you read the Bible, we know that the Bible doesn't contradict itself. We know that the Bible is not going to contradict God. So when you look at this, you look at Genesis 1, verse 31. So we're starting at the beginning with Genesis 1, verse 31 this is at the time that God had created the heavens, God had created the earth, he had created all the beings of the earth, and he looked at everything, and he saw that it was all very good. Now, we know that God has very great judgment. We know that God isn't going to make a bad judgment. So when he looks after he's created everything, and he says, everything that I've made is very good, then that shows that in God's mind, as he's looking... He sees no evil, he sees no wickedness, he sees no fault. So, this is including every bit of his creation, and that does include Satan, who was in heaven at the time. Because the Bible tells us that he was the most beautiful angel that heaven had. So, we look at that, God saw everything, and he said it was very good. So, when we try to take this out of context and say, well, if God's all-knowing, then why did he create evil? The evil wasn't there yet. And another way that we can support this is as you continue to read, and you go over, still in Genesis, now we're in the sixth uh, chapter, in the sixth verse. At this point, the Bible tells us that God actually repented for even creating man in the first place. So he saw the continual wickedness, the continual evil that was beginning to happen. And it says that God repented that he made man. So again, I believe we've taken this all-knowing virtue that God has, and we've kind of taken it out of context. And I think that some people have done that just to simply um, support uh, certain little parts of their belief system. But, you know, we know that the Bible wouldn't contradict. So if we look at it, and we continue to actually study and to see these things that should be simple... I think, again, I think we've just taken so many things out of context and overcomplicated. And, you know, when I look at all the stories that the Bible gives us, all these examples that the Bible gives us, and you begin to kind of look at them rather than looking at them separately how we tend to do. If you look at them together, you might begin to see that God has given us kind of a pattern Something that I think he's wanting us to see. Something that he's wanting us to relate with. And with this, uh, this is kind of where we're uh, actually going to be wrapping up. Um, like I said, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a whole lot that God gave me today, but I knew that, that this could be beneficial. There was a common uh, message that, like I said, that I believe God wanted us to see. And what I think this was, what this common message was, is that he gives us a instruction to do something that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So that was the first part of this, to give us some sort of instruction and then get two completely different crowds. Uh, two people, two different crowds that 
uh, one thinks it has to be this way, the other side thinks it has to be this way, and then there's com- two completely different um, sides or outcomes, which in the, most of the time was either safety or destruction. And, you know, we look at, at this kind of formula he that I believe he put together for us, and I'm going to use a few biblical examples, starting with the Red Sea, which I think would be the most obvious uh, as far as making a dividing line. You've got Moses, who God told, you know, I'm going to tell you to go back into Egypt and to free the Israelites. This is something that sounds ridiculous to Moses, probably. Uh, so you've got God giving an instruction that seems a little peculiar. And then he goes, and he begins to, to tell the Pharaoh, you know, you need to let our people go, uh, let God's people free. And you've got a dividing line now of two different groups. You've got the people who are on the side of Moses saying, yes, let us go. And then you've got the people on the side of Pharaoh saying, no, we're not going to let them go. We're going to keep them. We, we have to be served. And then we've got... Um, then we've got the two different paths that begin to happen. Uh, so, so now that, because we're kind of skipping around in this uh, story and uh, with Moses, and I know there's a whole story there, but I'm trying to keep it a little bit short. Um, but anyways, we know that Pharaoh eventually let Moses and the Israelites out of Egypt, and then they come to what seems to be a dead end, which would be the Red Sea. Now when they get to this point, God is telling Moses the impossible can happen if you put your trust in me. If you allow me to be the one to work, the impossible can happen. Because they're standing in front of a massive sea that God, and only God can do this, God parted the sea and he made a path. And now we see the destination of the Israelites as they are moving through the sea and they get to the other side of safety. And then you've got the Pharaoh and all of his army pursuing them. And then we've got this message where God said, I'm going to bring you out of slavery. I'm going to bring you out of this place that you've been to a place of safety. And as the enemy pursues you, I'm going to close it up. And they cannot catch you anymore. And I believe that, you know, that's something we can relate to so much. And, you know, that's just one example of a few that I've got here. Because I I was going to look at the, the seven plagues as well. You've got... You've got God telling the people, he says, you know, I need you to go and to take the blood of a lamb. I need you to put that uh, on your doorpost because the the, the uh, angel of death is coming. And when this angel of death comes, is looking for the blood. And if it sees the blood, then it's going to pass over your house. And it's going to go to the next one. But anyone who is not covered by that blood will die. And that's something, again, that as we begin to look at the common uh, formula here, we can begin to tie this all together. And I'm sure we're already seeing that we can relate this to our lives um, because we know that we have to be covered by the blood of Christ and that when that day comes, that God is looking for the blood that's been applied to us, something that we've had to be obedient to. So if we are obedient to that and we have the blood, then death will pass over us. We will not have to experience death. Not in the eternal factor in the West, because then we live eternally with God. Uh, then you look over at, at Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, you look at Sodom and Gomorrah, you've got Abraham, who is now talking to God. And he, he, he asks God, he said, well, if there be 50 righteous men in the city that you're about to destroy, if there be 50 righteous men in there, would you spare them righteous men? 
and they begin to have this kind of back and forth conversation and the number grows a little bit smaller, a little bit smaller, a little bit smaller. And if I remember right, they get all the way down to if there even be one righteous man, would you would you save them? Would you allow them to, to come out? And then God speaks and he says, well, I will I'll, I'll provide a way for them to get out. And, you know, you've got Lot and you've got his family, which is, uh, which is Abraham's nephew, I believe it was, is who Lot was. So this is why Abraham's kind of looking at God and he's saying, you know, I really want my family to be safe. I want them to be delivered from this. So now you've got God has given the warning to, to, to his people, the ones that were righteous. He gives them the warning to get out of where they're at. And, you know, I, actually, I don't even want to use the word righteous at that because when we relate this to us, uh, it kind of has a different meaning there. But the, to the people that would see God, he gave them the chance to get out of that city before it was destroyed. So you look at this, and we relate it with us. When we live in a world of wickedness, when we live in a world of sin, we live in a world of the devil, God gives us the opportunity to get out before it's destroyed. So I believe that right now that's where we're living. We are living in the world of destruction, the place that will be destroyed at some point. We're living there now. And God's giving us the opportunity to get saved, to live for him, and then to go and help other people to get in the same boat. And I want you to uh, kind of think of this analogy because it's something I heard one time and I really enjoyed it. Uh, I had heard the analogy that, you know, when you're out in the water, you're in a boat, you're surrounded by water. But the one thing that you don't want inside that boat with you is the water that's surrounding you. You want that to stay outside. But if that water becomes starts to come inside, you'll begin to sink. And you'll be, you'll begin to go uh, get into a position that is very, very hard to get out of. Um, so if you're paddling in a boat and you begin to let all these outside things get in, or, you know, in other words, if you're out in the world trying to live for God and you begin to let the world come in, you begin to let sin get in, you begin to let Satan get a foothold on you, and you don't live for him, you don't actually give your life to him, you begin to grow confused and, you know, all these things begin to happen, then you're going to sink in a place that you can't get out of without God. We're going to continue uh, with the thieves on the cross. Now, with the example of the thieves on the cross, you've got two people on each side of Jesus. You've got one who's mocking him, and you've got one who looks at Jesus. He looks at everybody else who's been mocking him, who's been doing him wrong, and he says, he, he says, you know, do you not understand that this man's done no wrong? Do you not understand that he shouldn't be here, that I've got every right to be here, I have every right to be dying, I have every right to be on the cross. And he doesn't, yet you're mocking him. You have every right to be here, yet you're mocking him. And we can look at the the example there, and we can say, okay, I do deserve to be on that cross. I've sinned against God, I've lived in wickedness, I've done things I shouldn't have. He shouldn't have been there, but I put him there. It should be me. But I'm going to look at everybody else in the world when they're mocking him. I'm going to look at everybody else in the world when they won't live for him. And I'm going to stand up. I'm going to stand up because I realize the preciousness of what he done for me. So we, we look at these different examples that he gave us. We look at these different 
this kind of formula we have and we begin to apply it to our lives. And that's why I'm trying to show is that, you know, you read these biblical stories. You, you read the things that, that God's given us. I mean, like I said, the Bible tells us that every piece of the scripture has value to it. So, you know, I, I also wanted to kind of focus on a lot of Old Testament uh, examples because I've heard a lot of people say that the Old Testament doesn't apply to us, that the Old Testament is something we can't relate to. And I, that's why I kind of wanted to focus more on the Old Testament because there's so much there that we can apply uh, to, to our lives. There's so much there that, that can be beneficial to us. But if we're looking at it in the sense of where we only allow ourselves to see certain things and we're never going to see anything else because when we overcomplicate these things, then we're letting it get into that realm of confusion, which God is not the author of. Now, I was actually having a conversation with uh, with, a, with a friend of mine, and uh, we were we were talking about this. It's kind of what got this all in my mind, and uh, we we started to dig into a little bit of a little bit of controversial things that I'm not going to get into. But uh, we started to dig into to some things, and I, I ended up telling them, you know, when these people overcomplicate the Word of God. What I believe they're doing is they're they're looking at it and they're saying, you know, I've read it over and I'm starting to get bored with it. In my personal opinion, that's where these people are starting to get is they're starting to get bored with, with the Word of God. They're starting to get bored uh, with, with uh, just the simple truth of it and the simpleness of it that they want to overcomplicate it. And I told them it's kind of like if you were to go into a, a, a doctor's office with cold, with cold symptoms and then rather than that doctor doing the easy thing and prescribing you cold medicine, he wants to rush you to surgery. And I feel like that's kind of what a lot of people do with the Bible. And that's why we've got so much division. And, you know, when you look at all these different churches and you look at all these different opinions, the one thing, really the only thing that I think we can all agree on is the cross. You look at the Catholic Church, there's a cross out front. Methodist Church, there's a cross out front. Baptist, Presbyterian, whatever, there's a cross out front. That's the only thing we can all agree on is that Jesus died on that cross. That he put himself there for us. And that's the only thing we need to focus on. We don't need to focus on everything else. We focus that Christ gave his life for us. We focus that that's the only way we're going to get to heaven is if we accept him. Quit worrying about all these uh, things, I mean, because really the Bible tells us in several places, um, don't discuss things that don't have a definite answer. I mean, don't uh, discuss things that are going to confuse people. Uh, don't use words if they're not going to be beneficial to someone's spirit. Quit worrying about small things. Focus on the one truth, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. If we focus on that, and we, 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 we glorify God in it, then we can't go wrong. We can't go wrong with preaching the truth of Christ. And, you know, that's kind of... I, I guess that's just my little rant for today. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, God gave me this... Just these little snippets, and it was more um, evaluating than it was reading. Um, I, you know, I always try to stay very true to the Bible. I always try to back up everything I say with Scripture, because I don't want to get out of Scripture. 
but that's you know that's something that I've just taken so much notice on here recently, and you know, in, in, in a time of so much division, the church should not be one of the main things that I see dividing. So if we would quit arguing over these small things and we would unite together and we would unite in the truth of Jesus Christ, then I think everything else would go smoothly. Um, you know, I believe that I've said what God has uh, sent me to say today. Um, you know, I wasn't, I was debating back back and forth on if I was still going to go live this late or not, but I decided I was going to go ahead and do that because I felt like it was still going to help somebody, that there might be somebody still awake that would hear it and uh, be blessed by it tonight. Uh, but I do thank you for joining us tonight, those of you that have joined us. And uh, I plan on coming back uh, next week, Lord willing, and we'll have another message. Uh, but I do thank you again for just joining us, being with us. I want to end uh, this message tonight with prayer. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for all the many blessings you bless us with. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to read your word, just to open it up, Lord, and just to have a discussion and uh, just to come together um, to, to read your word and just to glorify you, Lord. And God, we thank you for you know all the, the uh, freedom that we have to, to be able to do those things. Um, you know, something that we take for granted sometimes, Lord, but I do thank you for that freedom. I thank you uh, just for the jobs. Everybody, uh, most people are starting to go back to work, Lord, so we thank you for um, just helping people to uh, to get back to work, Lord, and I just ask that you would continue to, to guide everyone spiritually, to protect us from the sickness that is going around, Lord, protect us uh, from hopefully this thing doesn't grow any more than it has, Lord. I just ask that you continue to guide us and, um, Lord, we just thank you for all you've done. We love you. We trust you. And just want to glorify you in everything. And all these things we ask in Jesus' precious holy name we pray. Amen.